Hey, everybody, this is Alex. Hey, it's Natasha. And we are here to talk just for a second about Extra Crunch, TechCrunch's subscription product. Extra Crunch is where a lot of our best analysis and follow-up stories lives. We focus a lot on startups, building, and even poke fun here and there. It's true. I also write a daily column called The Exchange that's over on Extra Crunch. And the good news is, if you don't have EC access yet, we have a deal for you. Yes, you can use, I think, the best code there is. So don't tell anyone who doesn't listen to Equity because they're not invited. The code is Equity, all caps, for 50% off your Extra Crunch subscription. So head over to techcrunch.com slash subscribe. Use that code. Make us look good internally. We say thanks across the internet. And now let's do a show. Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. This is our Wednesday episode where we niche down to a single core topic. And today we are going to be digging into what we're calling the morality and efficacy of going public earlier. Natasha, I know that I'm the biggest IPO dweeb this side of the Pacific, but I'm curious, when I put this to you originally, what did you think? I was actually excited that we were going to do like a more empathetic show than usual, because I think a lot of times when we talk about IPOs on the show, we're like, just give us your numbers. And now I think this is like a really big and probably honest part of that conversation that doesn't always get talked about. Now, undergirding this conversation is a bunch of news. We've seen Squarespace's direct listing come out. We've seen a couple of IPOs over in the UK do well or not so well. And we've seen former private market darling Box run into quite some trouble with its shareholders. So the public markets regarding the unicorn world have been hot. And to help us unspool what's going on, we have a couple of guests. We have Steve Cakebread, the CFO of Yext. Steve, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank Good. you for the invitation. Yes, absolutely. And rounding out our guest today, we have Garth Mitchell, the CFO of Latch. Garth, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Alex. And I'm so glad we're going to talk about someone who's going through a SPAC because we can finally iron out all of our woes with said SPACs. <laughs> yes, no pressure, Garth, or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> but we are going to start with Steve. Steve, you wrote a book about going public that you and I have talked about and I've read. And it's kind of like a, a thesis in there about going public and, and doing it perhaps a little bit earlier than some companies have in the last couple of years. A couple of things into that. One is going public earlier helps a company build internal discipline in their culture. It helps build out systems. For example, the CFO stack and kind of keeping track of where the money really is going and also hiring the right people. I'm curious, how long did it take you to form this particular thesis and why is it so relevant to today's market? When I started with Mark Benioff at Salesforce, we really talked about this because it was the question, why take his great company public? But what we started to realize was one, as you said, it makes you more efficient. It forces you to put systems in place. It makes you run a business as opposed to just keep getting money from people to keep growing the business. From the business angle, it was always about discipline and running a business and getting going. It's evolved as I've looked at other companies and been on boards, et cetera, to two other areas, as you described. One is the number of listed companies on the exchanges has dropped by 50% over the last decade or so. I would maintain wealth creation isn't just how hard you work, but it's an opportunity to invest in other opportunities. And when those opportunities start to shrink by 50%, we get left out as individuals. And it was really clear through unicorns and the venture capital world, it's great they're there because they help businesses get started. But they were taking all the wealth. And the rest of us, when a stock went public as a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar company, the growth and the appreciation in the stock market just wasn't there as great as if when we took Salesforce public at $100 million, roughly, we went public at $11 a share. 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Wow. It's but crazy. Think about this. We went public at $11 a share. Most people could buy a stock, even one share at $11. When you take a company public at $100 a share, that starts to even take the individuals off the marketplace. So it was about getting back in to help create wealth in this country for that middle class, if you will, so we didn't get the barbell effect. The second part is as an employee, and I've always been an employee working with great founders, I work my ass off. And it's really important that I get compensated for that. I'm sure Garth will talk about that too. This is not an easy job. It's hard work and you should get rewarded for that. And it's a tough thing to do if it's a private company or all the VC, again, keep taking all the money from it. So it helps a company, it helps individual investors, and it helps employees and investors that are there. So it sounds like you you formed this general perspective going through the Salesforce and Pandora IPOs that you helped with before the Yext days even. It, my, my read of what you just said is that this has become all the more critical and pertinent, if you will, to today's markets, given that we've seen uh, companies raise sums of money at valuations that even a couple of years ago would have been surprising in their scale and stature, if you will. Absolutely. I mean, th that is where all the money's going in the markets and these IPOs. And I think it's important that, if you will, the rest of us get to participate in that and not just groups of individuals that happen to continue to aggregate wealth, but the rest of us get excluded from that. You know, working with market Salesforce, we had the 111 program, which meant 1% of the company's stock, 1% of the employee's time, and 1% of the profits went to the community, which is the other part that gets really critical as you do startups these days. I think we've all seen those data sets about how companies are staying private longer than ever. It feels like it's a decision that is continuously made, as you mentioned, Steve, with venture capital being there as a cushion for as long as you kind of need it these days, but that less companies are going public. Have there been any factors at play that have surprised you or that are new or that you think aren't being talked about as much? Just reasons why companies aren't making that jump beyond venture capital? Yeah, you know, and Garth might be able to chime in on this because he's been on both sides of the fence here. I've only worked on the company side of it, but there was always a scenario about your company's not ready, you need to get in shape, you need to do more, you can do wild and crazy things. Well, we saw wild and crazy things at WeWork. How did that work out for everybody? Not sure. We saw wild and crazy things at Uber in the early days. Not sure that was it. And I think that's where getting your company public, if that's your agenda, helps ferret that stuff out sooner rather than later and go. It doesn't mean you have to go public, but then you should be committed to like a cake bread sellers, which is going to be a private company run well, or Bush's baked beans and the Bush family runs their business very, very well. So it's those kind of businesses and you can go one way or the other. But I think if you stand in the middle, it's to me just selling London bridges to the next guy that'll put money in your company and hope you're not the last man standing when this all comes to Brought. And that's why we had Steve on, because uh, he is the spiciest CFO that I've ever <laughs> had the chance to speak to. Garth, I want to bring you in here because Latch, your company, is actually doing what we're talking about. It is actually going public at a, uh, I'll just say, younger age than many companies have in recent years. Going back through your SPAC investor deck this morning, I believe you had about $18 million in kind of aggregate 2020 revenue. And to be clear, that's going to go to $49 million according to your projections for this year. So lots of growth there. But certainly going public at a, at a smaller size. So I'm curious, it has the process of going public brought the rigor and kind of structure to the latch business that Steve is describing as the possible outcome uh, of going public at, a, at an earlier age? Absolutely. Steve, something you said really resonated with me because as we've gone through this process and built a lot more governance and controls into our business simply to make 
becoming public possible, it becomes clear that there's real reason for the existence of some of this governance or these governance rules. You have board committees as a private company. You have all kinds of community charters and all kinds of governance documentation. It's there because in, in a short period of time, Latch is going to have my mother's 401k dollars and, and it's on its balance sheet. And those protections have to be there for my mother's 401k dollars. I think that is why it's so important for companies to do it in earnest. Now, I think the question becomes, how do you do it in earnest? And fortunately, I think our investors and our board and our company has been really committed to making ourselves public company ready. That means much more than just being able to pass PCAOB compliant uh, audited financials. It means really building a lot of governance and controls and process into every single part of the business top to bottom, such that my mother's 401k is protected. On the cost front, though, because one thing I do hear from people is that it's a lot of onerous work to put in these systems. And in Steve's book, he really argues that, like, look, it's going to be expensive, but it's only a couple million dollars a year. And it's just calm down and do it. But, you know, Latch is not the world's biggest company. Have those costs. Has that work proved to be a distraction or a financial burden? Or, you know, are there downsides to going public earlier, as people often tell me there are? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it certainly is expensive, certainly if you want to do it the right way. I think for Latch, it was a little bit of an easier decision, though, because we've always thought that we would be able to best serve our customers by being a large, independent business. So being a public company is something we always wanted to do. That meant that we were going to implement these systems and processes that do cost money, whether it was today or tomorrow. So our board looked at it as an opportunity to accelerate the maturation of our business, whether it was for a second quarter 2021 public listing or not. You're obviously pursuing a SPAC which has become a controversial joked about a little bit on this podcast route to going public, especially as it blew up in 2020 and everyone decided to do a SPAC. Talk to me about the decision to do that. 2020 was a really interesting year. So we sell products into real estate and that helps make these places better places to live, work and visit. The 2020 was obviously a, a really, really volatile year for our customers, but we left the year with a lot of our customers looking at this concept of digital transformation as a 2021 initiative, not a 2023 initiative. So when we looked up and we're doing our annual planning, we said, wow, the accelerating demand from our customer base means that we can deploy larger sums of capital at high rates of return in a way that we just didn't have clear line of sight to in the past. The SPAC presented an opportunity for us to take on those larger sums of capital, sort of one chunk, as opposed to doing it slowly over many, many years we're basically experiencing a pretty sharp inflection point in demand for our products. For anyone who is considering a SPAC, this may be the most probably important, because we found an extremely strategic SPAC sponsor who had been a longtime customer, an investor of Latch, personal alignment from a priorities perspective, really like a principles perspective, that changed the entire dynamic from just some hurried way to get public and put a bunch of money on the, on the balance sheet. It became like a true strategic partnership and one that we think will support the business long-term. So those two factors kind of came together in a really convenient way at the end of last year and made us take this more seriously than we otherwise had. would have. All right, Steve, now I want your professional opinion of the latch spec. So putting you on the spot, hearing what Garth just said, reasonable plan, good use of a spec, or are you still perhaps a, a spec, um, you know, doubter per se? 
I mean, SPACs have been around, as we talked before, a very long time. I think even before I was born. Two, a couple of things here. One is no matter how you get public, you still go public. And the process, as Garth alluded to, is no different SPAC, direct listing, et cetera. The real key point here, and when I looked at what, what Latch did and what Garth's team and stuff had gone through is, there are just money people. And I do think you have to be careful when you're looking at a SPAC for just money people. They've got a strategic partner. Tishman is not chump change in this industry where they're selling their product to. So I think what you're really doing is bringing two capabilities together with a common purpose going forward. If you're doing that, a SPAC may make sense. If it's just somebody that raised $10 a share from a bunch of people with a generic, gee, I'm going to get into the entertainment industry, and then you think you're going to go get the money. And I talked to, there is a, there is a software company in the UK. They've been at it for 10 years in self-diving cars. And they called me and said, gee, we want you on the board. We're going to do a SPAC next week. No revenue, <laughs> no earnings. Like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, and you're in the UK, which is locked down, by the way. So, you know, that told me there's just an exit strategy there and it's not a legitimate go to market. So I think there's, for some companies, there's always the right thing. But SPACs for most companies, and particularly if you're an investor, you need to be really wary that there's an alignment of interest here. And it's not just a money transaction, which most SPACs have turned out to be. Yeah, I guess you just kind of answered my next question. But I did want to ask, I guess, you guys to rank on a scale of one to 10, how true it is and I guess how fair it is that a lot of SPACs reputation, at least in the past year, has been it's this hurried way to go public as a company that otherwise couldn't have. Garth, starting with you, tell me your colleagues and other SPACs that you're around. How true and fair do you think that that statement and, and perception is? I would probably be, be misleading folks if I were to say that there aren't probably companies that would otherwise not be appropriate to go public now. They're going public via SPAC. I just want to go back to just two key points that I mentioned. For us, first, it was, does this business make sense as a public company? And I think as we talk about our customer demand and the full suite of products that we wanted to deliver to our customers, the answer is, was yes. Then the question became, okay, to the extent that this back thing is an opportunity, who is the partner that we want to work with long-term and has shared vision and alignment with our long-term plan for our customers? And to the extent that we found that SPAC sponsor, which we definitely found with Tish Inspire, the only thing to focus on at that point was we are taking our company public, full stop. There are lots of distractions with the deal and terms and warrants, but our team has been laser focused on preparing ourselves to operate as a public company, which as Steve knows is all encompassing and we have not allowed a lot of the news to make us think there's something else going on other than Latches preparing to become a public company. Steve, I want to go back to something you said about just being a kind of a money transaction in some of these specs and, and to not be too rude to specs while we have Garth on, on the show. But I mean, there's kind of two things going on here. One, there's a lot of greed that is powering some of these rapid fire debuts. And I'll just I'll, I'll call them out in the electric vehicle space, in the autonomous driving space. Some of those offerings have me kind of freaked out, frankly, for, for regular folks. On the other hand, greed, in a positive sense to some degree, has been pushing lots of private capital into many startups, allowing them to stay private longer. So we're, we're almost seeing greed keep some companies private, and we're seeing greed 
get some companies public. And so I'm kind of curious where, um, I'm not going to go greed is good on you, but I'm curious where the current monetary and fiscal environment that we live in, where there's so much cash kind of bouncing around, uh, where that kind of nets out in terms of getting more companies public and maybe will SPACs actually boost in a positive way, the number of total public firms? That's a good question. It really is looking back to, Latch is a great example where this could work out and be really well done. Like I gave you, there's examples that you you shouldn't even be touching those. At the end of the day, you go public and you make that call. It's a question of whether the management team merging with the SPAC company is really committed to that. When I grew up, there's the penny sheets. I mean, we all forgot about that because we're trading in hundreds of dollars shares and thousand dollars stock price but there's still penny sheets out there that you can do trades on. And there's companies that belong in that. Although the what, $100 million diner in New Jersey or wherever it at, <laughs> that was amazing. Yes. actually qualify <laughs> for that kind of, and, and you know, scams exist all the time in all different industries at all points. So one just has to be buyer beware because it happens that way. But, you know, I, I, I still go back to, you're right, Alex, there's money chasing money. And I think when money's chasing money, you don't want to be the last guy holding the money. You want to be the chased. You just have to be aware. But I'll go, let's go back to the beginning. It's not helping middle-class individual investors necessarily become part of their wealth creation. I take Gar's point about his grandma and mom's 401k. It was interesting when we were at Yext, we went up to Ontario, Canada, talked to an investor there, and he said, look, I'm a portfolio manager because my mother, my sister, and my grandmother are school teachers. This fund, the investment I make is for them. And I think people have to get back to worrying about other individuals, no matter what it is, rather than just the money aggregation that they're getting. Now, I can make a lot of money, but if I don't do anything with it and I sit on it and I don't share it with people, what's the point? And I think here, our business at Yex the winery, we worry more about the family members and others than we do the employee because it's them that's most impacted by the dumb decisions that we might make run in this business or take it out or get the stock price down. So I think there's just, the money's great, but it has to be real and it has to benefit the community, the workers, the employees, and yes, the investors. So, you know, if you look at it, there's a broadening here where you look at constituencies and who's impacted, and it's not just the investor anymore. There's a wide range, it's the environment, if you're in flying airplanes around all the time, it's whatever. So I think looking at more of this constituency and seeing who's impacted and making sure your business is doing the best it can at benefiting all the constituencies. I just wanna be clear that uh, me, Alex, the individual, thinks that the latch SPAC deal is perfectly reasonable and makes sense. I, I know we're I know we're using him as the SPAC example. <laughs> yes, I just want to cosign. I cosign. Yeah, we're not we're not here to whack I'm him totally around. Totally with you. Like like we all know, there are certain things for certain opportunities, and you make them work. Yeah. So um, not everything is bad and evil all the time, but there is bad and evil in everything, and we've all been through tech. And you know, my wife curses this tech stuff. Half of it is great. The other half is always used for evil. And we see that every day. And you just got to find out where you want to sit on that line. Alex, I just want to add one important point just here, here is that I am not uh, sort of the world's spokesperson for SPACs necessarily. I am, however, a, uh, a burgeoning spokesperson for companies doing the things for themselves that uh, you need to do to operate as a public company. Yes. I think there is a lot of value in doing it, and we're seeing it every day as our company. And whether that's a direct list listing, a sort of regular way IPO, a SPAC, to the extent that you are focused on preparing yourself to operate as a public company, it is 
probably a good thing for your business. Yep, exactly. No matter right. what size, right, Garth? Because you started relatively small in most, but it takes a while, takes time. And, uh, you know, as Alex and I described the last time we talked, even my family's private business has an outside board of directors, has governance, has filings with the food and drug industry, all this crap. So at the end of the day, to run a business takes all the same stuff, whether you're pi private or public, to make it successful and be efficient, as Garth described. And Garth, you mentioned earlier that you knew from kind of the get-go that you guys wanted to one day be a public company, which I think is really key to remember too, is that it wasn't a last minute, oh, SPACs are hot, let's jump into that boat. But that said, I guess I'm curious what, what you think about, is there something that is changing the game and will actually make people go public right now beyond the market being crazy? Like, or are we all screaming into a wall right now? This is something that I would spend more time thinking about in my former life, but I think there is a, a lot of money in the market and how that money sort of exposes itself to many different sort of investment vehicles. It can happen as a private investor and a, an accredited investor in a private equity fund. It can happen like my mom's 401k investing in pipes for a large asset manager. I think to the extent that the money is moving toward more liquid public investments, it will incentivize companies to go public. And I hope that the experience that folks have preparing themselves to go public like Latch has had, a really positive one that's taken a lot of work, but has matured the business in a lot of ways, attracts quality companies to do maybe not necessarily justice back, but prepare themselves to operate as a public company like we have. So may maybe this is the beginning of the reversal, Natasha. I mean, let, let's hope so. Uh, we're going to squeeze in one more question. And this is actually for both of you guys. Prepping for this, I, I was just you know thinking about companies in my view that could easily be of public scale already and are still staying private, kind of in this long-term corporate adolescence that has been so enjoyable and popular in the last you know five, 10 years. And one company is Databricks. I think it's at like a $425 million a year run rate, worth $28 billion, just raised a billion dollars. And frankly, I know the CEO a little bit, Ali Godzi, and in Great guy. And he said something, though, when I pressed him on this, that actually made me sit back and think. So I just want to get your take on this and let me know kind of your perspective. He said they're like, look, we're staying private because we're doing some stuff right now on pricing that might cannibalize ourselves or cannibalize our own revenue. And, you know, these are things that are going to set us up for long term growth. And that would be harder to do in public. And so he's kind of saying, look, we're, we're really stirring the pot right now as a business. And uh, then we'll go public. And I'm curious, Steve, starting with you, um, is that just a, a CEO's excuse, the kind of like a racing driver's excuse, or is that a legitimate reason to, uh, to hold off on going public? Well, if you want to have a long-term company, you know what? You're always stirring the pot. You're always cannibalizing yourself because if you don't cannibalize yourself and move forward, somebody else will, and you won't be around. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an interesting rationalization, but the fact of the matter is all the companies I've been with have had to reinvent themselves time and time again through their growth curves. And if you want to be around 40, 50 years like Microsoft and Oracle and Salesforce will be, you better reinvent yourself or you're gone or acquired. And so I get it, but you better learn how to do that when the kimonos open and people are watching and how to explain the, what, your, what your longer term goal is here. So, you know, I love Databricks. They're doing great stuff, great technology. But the fact of the matter is, if the day they're going public, they're telling me they quit stirring the pot, probably not a good long-term investment. I love that. Uh, Garth, briefly uh, from you, uh, same question. Yeah, yeah, I think the only difference really is communication. I know that it's extremely challenging to make really big moves for your business, but to Steve's point, I anticipate Latch will continue to evolve as, as a public company and 
that is sort of our responsibilities management of the company. But the investor relations responsibilities are completely different, much more nuanced, and require a little bit more of a longer-term strategic view on how to make these changes and how to communicate them externally. To the extent that you can do that, I think you should be fine. And I think it's probably worth investing in those investor relations capabilities earlier. Fair enough. Steve, Gareth, Natasha, thank you for putting up with my questions today and and digging through this with me. An absolute pleasure. And uh, before, for some reason, our Zoom cuts us all off, thank you for your time. And Equity, of course, is back on Friday morning.